Welcome to the One in Five of Us podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. I'm your host, Kayla Wood, and today we're sitting down with Savannah Denlinger to talk about her journey living with mental illness as a behavioral health specialist. Savannah, thank you so much for being here. Of course. Well, I'm like super excited. We've been working together for a little bit at um, a local restaurant and I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for so long. So I'm so excited that we're finally doing it. Yeah. Me too. Yay. Um, so we're going to start off by, um, asking the question that I ask every single guest to kick off the podcast. Um, can we start by talking about your mental health journey, um, and just giving like a brief overview of what that has looked like? Yeah. So, um, I started seeing somebody for mental health when I was 14, um, and I was diagnosed with my first few mental health diagnoses um, then. Um, I've been seeing somebody off and on for about a decade now, and um, recently got diagnosed earlier this year with OCD. Um, So essentially, like, my mom just started noticing things. Um, I was talking to my mom about just certain things that like I was concerned about. And eventually we decided like, Oh, maybe it's time to see somebody. And it's kind of, um, had its ups and downs. I've switched therapists so many times. Um, and for the past two years, I've actually been seeing one that I'm really comfortable with and really okay with, um, which has not been in the past, but yeah. I mean, that's really awesome that your mom was like there for you and recognized when it was time to get help because that doesn't always happen, right? Like we see, I'm sure you see all the time kiddos who are just in a really dark place who don't have that um, sort of protective parent or protective home Mm -hmm. life. Um, So that's awesome. Um, And the fact that you've been seeing a therapist that you like for the past couple of years, that's good. It's not always easy to find somebody that you like and trust. Yeah, very helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we always say that like therapy is like dating. Um, like you can find a therapist uh, and maybe you don't click. And uh, sometimes you have to move on and find the right match and that's okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it's it's all a journey for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about that moment when, um, you and your mom realized that it was time to seek treatment and like what that looked like? So, um, essentially what had happened was when I was 14, um, my best friend's mother had found out that I had been Mm self-harming. Um, so she sat my mom, me, her and my best friend down to tell my mother, because I was like, I'm not telling my mom that like, uh, uh-uh, that ain't happening. Yeah. Uh, and it was a really hard conversation. My mom really didn't at first, she really didn't know how to handle it. So like the whole car ride home was like completely silent and very much like, why are you do-? like, just not understanding at all. Um, and eventually like, uh, she kind of, forgot about it. I don't want to say forgot about it. I think she was just kind of like, I don't know how to deal with this. So I'm not going to deal with it. 
Um, and then eventually I recognized like, I need something like I, I need something. So I remember like, um, like pacing outside of her bedroom door when I was in like eighth grade and like finally going in and be like, mom, I need help. Like I'm going to do something and I need help. Like this is not going to be okay. Um, and I think that's when she realized like, oh, she's serious. She's, she needs some sort of assistance. Um, and the first therapist I saw, I was not a fan of, she was a psychiatrist, but it was just like, really like, let's figure out what diagnoses you have. Let's figure out what meds we can put you on. Um, so that's kind of been like most of my journey up until now of like, not really liking my therapist, really just like figuring out like, okay, what diagnoses are you struggling with? What meds work? Um, I had to do like gene site testing to figure out what would be compatible for me because nothing was working. And I kind of exhausted all my options through meds, um, at that point. So I did do some like gene site testing. Um, and it wasn't until, yeah, like literally two years ago that I was actually like, Oh, okay. I feel like I can be a little bit more comfortable with this. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's really like scary to being so young and mm-hmm. And like going through all of that, like treatment at such an early age. Um, And I mean, in my experience, they just kind of like throw you in it and nobody's really telling you what's happening and you're just kind of like here for it. That's kind of, yeah. So uh, I applaud you for continuing to go to therapy, even though you didn't really like it and like retrying it. Um, it's a stop and go process. <laughs> like even now I'll go weeks without seeing my therapist, which I don't recommend to anyone, especially somebody who like me struggles with a lot of different things. And I'll go like weeks without seeing her. And then she'll like text me every so often and be like, so, um, you got to come in. Like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. You need to come see me. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps that, like, I have a support system, too. Like, my roommate, my best friend, like, will be like, so how's your therapist? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I do need to make an appointment. Like, so I have people who also keep me in check when I'm unable to keep myself in check. So that's helpful. Yeah, that is so helpful and so important. Uh, I mean, when we talk about like protective factors, um, having a strong support system is so, so, Mm -hmm. um, so it is really good that you have that in your life. Um, especially like I, I, I'm very similar. Like I'll do, uh, I'll, I'll try to cope on my own for a while and I won't see that I'm not doing well. And Mm -hmm. I'll, to like point it out I'm like no I'm fine <laughs> until yeah. drastic happens and then I'm like okay you're right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, exactly <laughs> yeah it's tough it's hard I mean that's like what mental illness does to you it it, it kind of convinces you that um you're doing okay and it's uh it's hard to tell yourself not to trust that voice sometimes. Um, so, yeah, but I am, uh, I'm 
glad that you have a support system there to uh, remind you to keep taking care of yourself when you can't remind yourself. Yeah, it's helpful for sure. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about like the moment um, that you kind of got those diagnoses. So what was that? What was it like to get get diagnosed with mental illness at such a young age? So the first few things that I was diagnosed with, um, I kind of feel like I was like numb to, like, I don't feel like they had a ton of effect on me just because I was kind of like, okay, yeah, obviously. Um, so I was first diagnosed with a major depressive disorder recurrent, um, generalized anxiety disorder and ADHD inattentive type. Um, so I was first diagnosed with those three things. Um, Later on, I got diagnosed with con- complex PTSD and um, OCD. Uh, so there's five in total now <laughs> that I, I live with forever. Um, and I think that's the hardest part about being diagnosed with something like that, especially at a young age was like when I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder recurrent, it was kind of like, oh, so I'm going to go through dips of depression for the rest of my life. Like even if I am medicated or seeing a therapist, it will probably not be as severe, but it will happen. Um, or anxiety of things like that. Uh, in like my ADHD stuff, I struggle with every single day, like all the time. And I'm kind of just used to it now. Um, it explained a lot when I was younger, uh, it, that one was a really helpful one because I was like, oh, I'm not just forgetful and lazy and can't remember everything. It was, it was like an actual, something was actually causing it. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was beneficial, but the other stuff was just kind of like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of comforting to a point. I didn't like I'll go through stages of like hating my diagnoses and being like, God, this sucks. Like I have to deal with this and this sucks. I have to be on medication for the rest of my life. And that sucks. And like, I'll go through those stages. Um, but I wasn't like severely affected by what my diagnosis was until I was diagnosed with OCD. Um, and that one's been like the hardest one to cope with and deal with. And I'm still like very recent diagnosis. I got diagnosed, um, probably in like May of this year. Um, so very recent diagnosis and probably the hardest one that I've had to deal with, uh, ever. So it's been a difficult journey, but can you talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about like why it's been so difficult? Yeah. So, um, I think that it like OCD is the one of the most misunderstood mental health illnesses that there is. Um, I work in mental health. I have been surrounded by mental health for a decade. Um, I've seen multiple people for mental health for a decade. Um, and this has never come up as a possible diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so And I didn't even recognize the signs of myself because to be honest, I didn't know the signs. 
mm-hmm. um, which is surprising working in mental health. Like, oh, you don't know the signs of OCD, which is not what everybody thinks it is. Um, I'm not like compulsively washing my hands or things like that. Like I do things that are compulsionary, um, but they're just kind of normal to me. So it was just kind of like a not noticed thing. Um, and then I think a lot of things that people misunderstand about OCD is that there's mental compulsions. Um, so like I perform a lot of mental compulsions, like rumination, um, reassurance, that kind of like that kind of thing, reassurance seeking. Um, so I perform a lot of that kind of compulsion, which is not visible. Right. So it's harder to see. Um, it was also really difficult because OCD comes with very intrusive thoughts that are very scary and they're not like everybody gets intrusive thoughts. OCD thoughts attack who you are morally. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and they're like, kind of like commands of like, Oh, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it's stuff that it's like really scary things that you're like, Oh my God, I don't want to do that. Like I would never do that. Why, why are you telling me to do that? Um, so then it like kind of attacks who you are as a person. Uh, so I deal a lot with harm OCD. Um, so, you know, every time I drive, I have to be like, my, my OCD tells me drive straight, drive straight at this curve, drive straight at this curve. And I have to be like, no, let's turn the car. Let's actually turn the car. And that's every time I drive. Every time I eat, I think about how I can get sick from the food. So I don't eat very often. Um, I struggle with food a lot uh, and like what I can choose to eat um, and what my OCD is okay with that day. <laughs> um, I uh, have thoughts of hurting myself a lot um, that I'm like, I don't want to do that. But it's like this constant, like, you need to, you need to. And if you don't do it, you like something bad will happen um, kind of feeling. So, and they're really scary thoughts. Like, um, you can have thoughts of like harming other people. You can have thoughts of harming animals. You can have thoughts of like sexual orientation or like religious complexes and things like that. Um, my cat's in a fruit loop box. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you can have thoughts of like that kind of thing as well. And so it really does like attack who you are at your core. Um, And that's really scary because that's something that it's like kind of inescapable. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I said, the thoughts happen every day and they're inescapable. Uh, I'm able to move past most of them, but they are incredibly difficult to deal with. Um, And it's not like, like imagine your brain telling you that you want to die all the time and you being like, but I don't. Like, that's not what I want, but it's constantly telling you, no, no, you need to, you need to. Um, So it's a lot of that that's really difficult. And just knowing that I'm going to have to deal with that my whole life is really uh, probably the worst part of it. And yeah, it does like, it gets better to an extent, but whenever you're stressed, whenever you're going through like a stressful time, it flares up. And you get even like even more intrusive thoughts that you wouldn't get, you know, if you were having an okay time, like a stress-free time, um, 
your OCD just flares up like anything else would if you're stressed out. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, so unbelievable. I mean, I mean, that's difficult to hear. So I can't even imagine how difficult it is to live with. Um, because it's, it's your own brain, right? Like you can't really get away from your own brain. And that's, that's what's scary about so many mental illnesses, uh, but especially what you're going through right now. So I, um, I empathize with, uh, what you're feeling and I, I am sorry. Um, thank you for being like honest and like vulnerable about it. Um, because without like having these kinds of conversations, like the stigma of like OCD being like flipping light switches, you know, Mm -hmm. when I think OCD and like, again, I work in the mental health field as well. It's like, and I'm, I'm getting more familiar with it as like mm-hmm. all my friends have been diagnosed with it and like um, talking about it on the podcast and stuff like that. But I mean, when I think OCD, I automatically think compulsions. I don't think about mm-hmm. like the obsessive obsessions as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I have normal compulsions. Yeah. Do I sit at my door and lock it over and over again? And like, people always ask you like, what's the right number? And you're like, there's not a set number that's right. It has like, I just have to feel it. Like I'll have to do it over and over again until I'm like, okay, that's right. Yeah. And you know, it's really helpful. Like having my roommate, having my boyfriend who's like, let's walk away. Like, yeah, it's locked. It's locked. Let's walk away. <laughs> Um, that's really helpful, even though it's so uncomfortable for me. Um, it is like, it feels like my skin's crawling. If I like let myself walk away from a compulsion, um, and it feels wrong to do, like it feels inherently wrong to do. Um, but it is what I should be doing. Like it is, you should never enable OCD, which is hard for people who, have loved ones with OCD. Um, you shouldn't like, unless I talked to my therapist about harmful compulsions and non-harmful compulsions. So like the non-harmful compulsions, I allow myself to do sometimes until it gets like too much. And I'm like, okay, I have to stop. I have to walk away. Um, but it's, it's helpful to have somebody who's like, uh, no, that's, that's not a normal thought. Let's move past that because I'm not able to do that myself. So when my boyfriend does it or when my roommate does it, it's like, okay, they can't, they can't enable me right now because if they enable me, it's just going to further validate the OCD. So it shouldn't be done (laughs) as hard as that is for people who love you. And they're like, I don't know what to do in this situation. I'm like, you have to not enable me. Like you have to let me, you have to help me walk away. You have to help me move past it. Cause I won't be able to handle it. Yeah. yeah that's so. a useful thing for people to know that most people probably don't know. Right. Like, um, so you see like, I don't know, like discovery channel. So like, that's the first time I was ever familiarized with OCD somebody was on a TV show and they were talking about like the different compulsions and things. And uh, 
what I remember was like, somebody said like, don't pull them away from it. Like don't wake a sleepwalker. And I was like, that's like what I had in my brain for such a long time. And that's not right. <laughs> no, you need to pull away from it. I mean, like the treatment for OCD is exposure, exposure therapy. It's exposure response prevention. Um, so like they put you in situations where you are exposed to your OCD and you have to, you know, fight that response that you get from it. Um, so like, for example, I have really bad issues with food and OCD and I, I'm afraid that everything's going to make me sick. So grocery shopping causes me severe anxiety because I can't look at things without thinking of the ways that they'll make me sick. Um, food in general, but grocery shopping is very overwhelming. So it causes me really, really bad responses. So my therapist who's trained in ERP, um, asked me like, Ooh, ooh, would that be a good exposure? And I was like, you know, I'm not ready for that. (laughs) I can't go into target without wanting to cry. So like, I can't do that right now. Um, but that is like the treatment for it is exposure. So, you know, not stopping somebody from compulsions like you should probably stop somebody from compulsions <laughs> like yeah. otherwise you're not doing anything to help that person you're just enabling and further like validating their OCD which is not a valid they're not valid thoughts yeah right that's the those like irrational kind of thoughts like if we think about like just standard anxiety not that any one mental illness is like more standard than the other yeah um if we're just like gonna put it into terms of something that more people are familiar with yeah anxious thoughts um if we feed into them obviously they're going to continue to grow it's like a snowball effect right Mm -hmm. so that makes a lot of sense like we're 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 teaching people things here that's that's yeah this is all about yeah and I'm, I'm, I think OCD is the hardest thing to be open with, uh, because some of the thoughts, like, I'll be like, oh, that's an OCD thought. And I'll like say it out loud. And the looks I will get from loved ones, even that are like, holy, like, what are you, are you really thinking? And I'm like, I'm not going to do it, <laughs> like, yeah. but I'm thinking it like it's not, but I'm like, I'm not going to do it. Um, so I think it's really hard to be open with because it is something that is like a very easy thing to judge. Some of the thoughts are very easy to judge and that's really difficult for people to understand that like, these are not my thoughts. Like as much as they're coming from my brain, they're not my thoughts. They're not who I am. Um, and I think that people have such a like warped idea of what OCD is. And then when they do find out like what it actually is, have that judgmental feeling about those thoughts, because some of them are really messed up. And like, if people are actually thinking them and wanting to do them, you might want to be a little bit judgmental about them, like depending on what the thought is. But that's the thing with OCD. Like we don't want to do them. They're there, but we don't want to do them. So it's, I think it's hard for people not to judge. Um, and I think people don't really know what it truly is. So it's what I've been most open about because it's a, 
really important conversation. And it's something that's like so misunderstood that the more I can educate on it, even if it means me being vulnerable and me being in an uncomfortable situation, I'm going to. So that's that's the viewpoint of it. Yeah, for sure. And that's so important too. Like our one in five's whole mission is, you know, like stopping the stigma against mental illness. Um, and uh, our like tagline is stop the stigma, start the conversation. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, that's something that we firmly believe is, you know, talking about it is the first step to erasing stigma about mental illness. And like with what you were just saying, like that's, it is super important to be able to kind of delineate what is your actual thought versus like what your mental illness is saying to you. And because they're two different things, like, right. Like we can have our core beliefs. That's something I'm working on in therapy right now is figuring out what my core beliefs are (laughs) so that you can kind of like peel away those layers and figure out where those thoughts are coming from, why they're irrational, like what is what you actually believe and that's that's a hard process and it seems like something that you're doing well at which is awesome because it's not super easy or something that you're working on maybe but yeah oh yeah always working on it forever working on it because it's um every so often there's new thoughts that I'm like well that's a new one (laughs) and like I don't like that one at all um (laughs) So every so often there's new thoughts and I'm like, oh, that's really messed up. And, you know, it feels like for me personally with like my OCD journey and my experience with it, it feels like I'll get okay with certain thoughts and I'll be able to like, you know, live with having them, which is essentially what you have to do. You have to just be able to sit in the discomfort of having those thoughts and just kind of know like this isn't what I want to do. Um, but then there's new thoughts that you're like, oh crap, now I have to get used to this thought and now I have to live with this one and be okay with it. And that's, uh, that's something that happens. Like that's something I'm going to have to deal with my entire life. So that's what makes OCD so evil is that it decides like, oh, we're going to do even more thoughts, uh, that attack who you are and we're going to do this your entire life. And you're just going to have to figure out how to live with it. Um, so that's what makes it so awful. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's so unbelievably tough. Cause like you, you get to a point where you're like, okay, I've le- I've learned how to uh, manage this one thought that comes back, mm-hmm. but then your OCD is like, Nope, here's another one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. it's yeah and then there's like thoughts that your OCD gives you about OCD it's a very meta disease um it's like it's the worst uh but it is very meta it's like um like I follow a lot of like OCD accounts on like Instagram and stuff and there's always like oh my god am I gonna catch this compulsion and I'm like no, you're not <laughs> like, this is their compulsion. You're not going to catch that compulsion. 
but that's a really common OCD thought. <laughs> like if I'm open about it, or if I talk to other people, or if I go to an OCD therapy group and I hear other people's compulsions, am I going to start having those compulsions? And it's like, that's not necessarily true. Could it happen? Maybe, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily true. Um, so it's fighting, fighting all of that too. Cause it's like, I want to talk about it. And it's like, but will I give somebody else OCD? <laughs> no, you're not going to give somebody OCD. <laughs> so it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like having like diabetes or something. Yeah. Like, you can't pass it to somebody else. Uh, yeah. But it is something that, you know, like if you have to take insulin every day to fight off the diabetes, then you've got to continue working on uh, therapy or medication or whatever it is that's going to help you cope with living with OCD. And uh, that yeah. is a tough thing to um, to come to terms with, for sure. Um, yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, because I know you've mentioned a couple times, like, the idea of like living with it for the rest of your life. That's, that's a scary thought. Um, can you talk about like what that process has felt like, um, like coming to that realization? Yeah. So at first it was very much like just like mountains of doom. <laughs> like, Oh my God, your life's going to suck and you're never going to be normal. And you're going to have to deal with this and you're going to always want to do these things. You're always going to want to hurt yourself. You're always going to have these thoughts that you're uncomfortable with. Um, So that was like really difficult to deal with at first. Um, You're going to have to take medication every day. I'm, you know, blessed with OCD and ADHD. So I forget my meds all the time, all the time. And, um, it won't even be until like one of my medications is really strong. So when I'm off of it, I will go through like actual withdrawal. So it won't even be until I'm like going through withdrawal that I'm like, Oh my God, I'm taking my meds. (laughs) So, um, it's just all about finding that right. Like, I, I feel like I'm on a good OCD medication currently. Um, like I feel like my mix of meds for all of my disorders are, uh, doing, doing what they need to be doing right now. Um, but it is like part of me actually taking them, uh, which is something that I like hound into my children at work. I'm like med compliance, med compliance. And then I don't even follow med compliance most of the time. Um, which is not good. You should, (laughs) uh, but it's, it's gotten easier since I've been diagnosed. It's gotten a lot easier. It was very much like doom and gloom at first. And now it's just kind of like, oh, I've, I've been living with this for a really long time and I just didn't know it. And it just has a name to it now. Um, and I have like the proper tools to handle it now. And that's what I didn't have before. So I think it's just kind of flipping the script on like, yes, this is going to be something that you have to deal with for the rest of your life. And it's going to suck some days. Like, let's be honest about it. It's going to be awful. Um, but now that there's a name for it, now you have some answers. Now you have some ways to handle it that you didn't have beforehand. Um, 
So I'm trying to see it from that light. Some days I'm still like, oh my God, this is awful. Like my brain's so broken and just really mean to myself about all of my disorders and like how difficult they do make my life and how difficult like things are going to be. And it's a lot of the like, well, I'm never going to be able to be a mom because I'm so sick. I can barely take care of myself. Uh, So it's like, it's a lot of that kind of stuff as well that you're kind of, um, you have to kind of deal with and say, no, that's not a true thought. Like many people can go through this and, and be okay. Um, so it's just kind of like changing those negative thoughts into positive ones, just like another common therapy tool, um, of kind of fighting that, like, yeah, you are going to have to live with this the rest of your life, but now you have answers and there's studies and there's medication and there's specific therapy for it. Um, so I'm definitely handling a lot better than I was previously. Um, I still don't like it. It still sucks. <laughs> but I am able to be like, okay, well, I'm on a really good med for it. I have a really good therapist for it. Um, you is like in the OCD community, you want a therapist that also has OCD um, and that is trained in ERP because otherwise other therapists might not recognize those signs. Um, and you see it more in other people when you have it, then like you can see the signs better um, in other people than people who don't have it or people who've never experienced it. Um, you see those signs a lot better and you know how to talk to them and handle it and relate and excuse me. So that's really helpful with my therapist having OCD as well. Um, it's really helpful because I'll be like, Oh my God, listen to this crazy thought. And she's like, Oh yeah, I had this thought the other week and it, it was insane. And I was like, you know, it's, it just makes it more comfortable, I guess. Um, so I am, coping with it a lot better than I was. Um, and I think every day is just kind of like my, on my hard days, it sucks and it's exhausting, but on the days where I'm just kind of like, Oh, like I can get through this. It's, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just meds therapy. Yeah. Yeah. For the sure. whole lot. And that is like, that is definitely something that is super helpful is like having a therapist that can relate to you. Uh, yeah. Like I know this, this right here is going to be a whole lot of backtracking, but hopefully my thoughts will make sense at the end. Um, (laughs) When I, when I was diagnosed with like bipolar two, I remember like getting that diagnosis and having like the similar kind of like doom and gloom of like, this is something that I'm going to have to deal with for the rest of my life. And uh, like at at that time, my mania was the biggest concern and the depression was not so much of the concern. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have manic episodes where I'm going to spend like so much money. I'm going to like make all these mistakes and ruin my life. And then as I got older, learned how to cope with it, the mania kind of subsided. And then very recently, the depression kind of took over (laughs) and so now I'm being treated for 
bipolar depression because for so long I was just focusing on controlling the mania and didn't know how to control the depression. And now that I'm like back in therapy, my therapist so familiar with like treating bipolar too. Not sure if she has it, maybe because of some of the things that we've talked about seems very mm. Um, but it's learning how to like deal with it and like recognize that, yeah, this is going to be something that you do forever, but it's possible to live with it because so many other people do. And so sometimes that's a scary thought is like thinking about how many people have to go through it, but then a lot of the times for me, at least it's, it's comforting to be like that person over there has bipolar as well. And mm-hmm. they're living their life and they're okay. <laughs> like, I'm sure you've felt that like being in with people who have OCD, like seeing other people do well with the same diagnosis that you have is such a validating feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's it's kind of necessary sometimes like sometimes I'll literally just go on to like like the my favorite murder um they have this thing called bipolarinos instead of yeah yeah and so I'll just go through the page and just like look at it on Facebook Mm -hmm. I have an OCD ruins the party again (laughs) that I'm a part of I like my favorite murder OCD group that I'm a part of. So I completely understand that. (laughs) Like it's like helpful. Sometimes it's not. And sometimes I have to like get out of there. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, like look at how well you're doing. Like look at what you did to cope. Like good job. I can do it too. Um, Also, for those of you listening, if you are not familiar, My Favorite Murder is a true crime podcast. Savannah and I are both big fans. Yeah. Um, And so I knew she would appreciate that (laughs) little comment. Um, But yeah, that's... My thoughts didn't totally come together the way that I was hoping, but... No, I totally totally get what you're saying of like... It's... It's so much easier when you see people thriving with it. Yeah. And you're kind of like, oh, I can do that one day. Yeah. Yeah. It's just learning the way that it manifests for you. Um, and with it being such a recent diagnosis, I'm sure that's something that you're still going through. For sure. Uh, yeah. But from what I can see uh, from a very outside perspective, like working with you, uh, you seem to be coping quite well, um, at least on the outside. I know that we can't always judge based on outside perspectives, nor should we. Um, but I am proud of you for taking all these steps to live a healthy life. Thank you. Um, yeah, I uh, think like when I have like good distractions um, like work, um, both my jobs really, especially my one job is, uh, very, it provides really good distractions where I'm like, I don't have time to sit 
and do compulsions. I don't have time to ruminate. I don't, I don't even have time to really have intrusive thoughts because it's so like handle this situation right now and like handle the situation at work right now. Um, and you have to be on like 24 seven. So especially when you're in like crisis stabilization. So it's, uh, it's a nice break <laughs> from my own brain. Now, when I drive home and I just got back from like an six, 12, 16 hour shift of stress, my OCD will flare up, but it's also like other ways that I can cope with it. Like I do have coping skills for it. So yeah, yeah. for sure. And that, um, that's so funny that you mentioned that because like I do the same thing with like both jobs too. I'll do like working at the restaurant is such a nice distraction. <laughs> um, because like, we had, we actually had Tyler on the podcast a couple months back and um, he was just talking about like how being there, you just kind of always have to be on. Mm-hmm. And the way I do that is like, I turn my brain off. Like, yep. <laughs> and so just having those, like whatever, like 10 hours of peace from my mm-hmm. own, sometimes it's just so nice. Like it's so <laughs> You just need it sometimes because, like, then you just get to, like, talk to other people. Other people tell you about their problems and you, like, it's not really a place for you to, like, share much about yourself. And so it's like, yeah, I'm going to listen to what you have to say and I don't have to do any work to, like, come back with it, (laughs) like, a different response. Yep. It's so nice. And that's exactly what it is. It's turning your brain off. Like... I can't help children in crisis if I'm going through my own crises. So like, mm-hmm. I just shut my brain off. <laughs> like, yeah. I, just hate like I, I figure out a way. Um, so yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And that's exactly what it is. And it sounds like terrible to say, but I'm sure like other people can relate to that as well. So I just wanted to bring it up. Um, yeah. Because that's like, that's okay. I mean, eventually you have to confront your emotions, of course. You have to confront what you're feeling, but, um, we can, we can all use a break sometimes and that, you know, breaks like built into your life already, then take them, take advantage of it as a coping strategy (laughs) until you can come back to it and figure it out later. (laughs) Break is a fantastic coping skill. I I tell it all the time, whether it's a mental break or literally walking away from a situation, like take a break. Yeah. And come collect yourself and you're going to handle the situation better when you take a break. So even if it is like turning your thoughts off for a little bit and focusing on something else, when you come back to it, you might have a better way to deal with it. So I think, you know, beneficial in all senses. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Um, so there is like the, one more question in this kind of like block of things that we're talking about, uh, that I wanted to get to before we kind of start talking about what you're doing now, um, as a behavioral health specialist. Um, so before we dive into that, I did, uh, want to just ask, um, if you could go back in time, this is one of my favorite questions to ask, by the way. Um, if you could go back in time and talk to your pre-recovery self, um, or 
maybe your pre-diagnosis self, uh, if you want to read it that way. Um, what advice would you give about your mental health journey? Oof, that is a difficult question. Um, I feel like it's so difficult because of all the different things that I have. Um, I think for like specifically my OCD, um, and specifically like my food struggles, uh, it would, it would be like, you're not crazy. Like, (laughs) this is not like, you're not an insane person. Um, even though like having to check a bite of food that I eat and having to do these weird, insane compulsions, um, that I have to do, uh, in order to eat food feels insane sometimes. Um, it's like, no, your, your body created, your mind created this compulsion or this thought. And that's one of my compulsions I let myself live with because I can't not eat and not check food. Like I will, I will have a full on panic attack if I don't. So, um, that's one of the compulsions. Like it takes two seconds for me to look at everybody food I'm eating. So it's, you know, that's one that my therapist and I have been like, okay, we can deal with that one. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I think I would tell myself like your struggles with food aren't always going to be there and you're going to be able to work past them. And if you need to check your food, that's okay. Um, and like, if you need to figure out things that you need to eat, that's okay. And like my therapist says, which I have to tell myself often eating crackers because you know, crackers can't make you sick is better than eating nothing. Like eating a pop tart is better than eating nothing. Um, so that's something that like, I have to tell myself almost every day of like, Hey, eating something, even if it's not a healthy, quote unquote, healthy thing for you, it's like feeding your body is better than not feeding your body anything. Um, so I think I tell myself that because it made me struggle with OCD, made me struggle with food a lot when I was in college, um, to where I just straight up didn't eat. So I think I'd be like, Hey, even if it's candy, like feed, feed your body something. Cause that's better than just straight up not eating. Um, so I think I tell myself that like about the food. Yeah. So it's been, yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, that's like really difficult. And, um, I mean, going to share about myself again. Um, but that's what we do on podcasts. So I'm going to talk. Um, but yeah, I have like a, I think we've talked about this a little bit and Mm -hmm. I like have a history with disordered eating as well. Mm -hmm. And it comes from different places, but, um, that fear of food is very real. Um, and it, it makes it really hard sometimes. Like this morning I made avocado toast with like a new bread. And I was like, I was like, is this going to like hurt my stomach? Like, I don't know, because like having lived with anorexia for a very long time, like Mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that my body can't process. Yeah. 
can't have dairy anymore. <laughs> yeah. I can't eat like a bunch of things that I used to be able to eat. Um, and so I definitely like see where you're coming from and that, and, and having a strategy to be able to eat is so, so, so important. Um, because like you said, you know, you have to eat, feeding your body something is better than nothing. (laughs) And it's, well, what's so difficult about it is that like OCD and eating disorders are super comorbid with each other. Um, for some reason, I'm sure there's studies on it. Um, but they're so comorbid with each other. And what's difficult about it is that like, yeah, my disorder eating started as OCD, like fueled. Um, but then it changed into just disordered eating. And so like, it is still like, okay, yeah, that's better than nothing. But then it's like trigger foods that you're like, oh, but a pop tart really. And then it's like, okay, but it's still better than nothing. (laughs) You still have to feed yourself. Um, and yeah, I like, I, I struggle with that every day. So like I was hungry this morning and my roommate was like, Hey, why don't you eat something? And immediately she was like, what do you eat a bowl of cereal? And I was like, I'm afraid the milk's bad. It's almond milk. I know like logically it's fine, but I can't eat it. And she was like, eat it dry. (laughs) So like I had a few handfuls of fruit loops and like, that's not something I would have done six years ago. Like I just wouldn't have had anything six years ago. So, um, it's little victories like that, but it is still like that push of other people being like, Hey, you should probably still try (laughs) just a little bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Going back to that support system. It's like, it's so important. Yeah. So yeah, I think the, um, yeah, I think the food stuff is something that I would definitely comment on because I feel like if I would have let myself eat just anything and this could have happened no matter what, but I feel like if I would have just like let myself eat things that I was comfortable with and didn't feel like would make me sick, I wouldn't have gone from OCD disordered eating to an actual eating disorder. Um, so, and that's still like, I struggle with both of them. So this day, so it's, it's difficult to recognize (laughs) like, oh no, you can still have this even if trigger food yeah so yeah and that's something that like is is really hard from personal experience that's really hard to overcome and uh, yeah I'm so proud of you for being able to do that yeah I know like I have to like yell at you to eat sometimes so now I know why (laughs) yeah I'll try to (laughs) (laughs) bread's usually always a safe bet for me just in general I'm like, okay, I'm going to go eat some bread. <laughs> so, but it's, it, it's difficult. So I'm, uh, I am proud of you for being able to eat those fruit loops this morning. Yeah. I'm proud of you eating that bread. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's sitting in my kitchen right now too. I might have a sandwich later. We'll see. <laughs> but yeah. So now that we've kind of talked about your mental health journey and your experience, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, what you do with your career. So you work in the mental health field as a behavioral health specialist at Cincinnati Children's, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I know you told me that um, you went into psychology because of your own mental health journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about like that decision um, and how you came to it? Yeah. So I um, actually changed my major like four or five times in college, um, but I kind of always went back to some sort of psychology. At first I was like, oh, I'll like teach history and then I'll teach psychology as well. And that was really what it was started as. And then switched to like pre-med and then switched to like other stuff. Um, and eventually just came back to psychology. Um, and I think like what drove me to psychology in the first place was like, yes, my own things. Um, but my whole family struggles with mental health. Um, and I've been around it my whole life. I've been around crisis my whole life. Um, so I'm kind of like, I thrive in the chaos. Um, as my therapist likes to say, uh, chaos is very comforting to me. Um, so going into psychology just kind of made sense. I just felt like I, I had a, a good understanding of like family dynamics and trauma and um, different type of diagnoses. And like, I have people in my family on the spectrum. I have, um, you know, people in my family who also have OCD, who also have depression and things of that nature and just loads and loads of trauma. And it's, um, a, it was just like an environment I grew up in. So it just made sense to me, I guess, to go into it. I never expected myself to go into clinical psychology. Um, I'm surprisingly not a huge person. <laughs> Um, which is so funny because both my jobs are incredibly people oriented. Um, but I never expected to go into clinical psychology. I wanted to do research, um, or forensic psychology. Um, that was like really my goal was like research neuropsych, that kind of thing. And I did have like a heavy focus in neuropsych, um, with my degree. And that's why I did a bachelor's of science so I could do research and not you know, clinical, uh, cause that was my goal. And then ended up getting a job right out of college at Cincinnati children's, um, in a clinical field. And then I kind of was like, Oh, I'm good at this. And I maybe should be doing this. And, um, that kind of changed my, my thought process on things of that nature, just because I do have a knack for it. Um, that I didn't know that I had previously. Uh, so that's kind of what led me to psychology and then led me specifically to clinical psychology. Yeah. That's, uh, that's so fascinating because I feel like, and this might be overgeneralizing, but I feel like so many of the people that I've talked to, um, even specifically on this podcast, um, who work in the mental health field, it's because they like, it, it oh. the home. It's yeah. Like, I, I would imagine probably a majority of the field is. Oh. Yeah. I think everyone that I work with at children's that like I've specifically spoken to, um, that are like friends of mine and stuff, like we're in it because we know it. Yeah. Like we get it. And that's like, that's why we're in it. Because if we didn't get it, 
it'd be the hardest job. It's yeah. still hard. The hardest job That's if you did. Yeah, it's so. I mean, it's so. It's so personal. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that that makes for. I don't want to say better, but like a better clinician is somebody who can understand it um, and who can sympathize and uh, more than just empathize. Right. They know a lot of times have been where you are if you're in crisis and uh, can recognize the signs better. Like you were saying earlier about your therapist and um, it, it does make a huge difference. So you can tell, like, you can tell when you're going to see, like, a different, uh, like, different practitioners, like, all right, you also experience this. Cool. (laughs) Um, So kind of going along with this theme, um, what has your experience been like working as a behavioral health specialist, working specifically with children in crisis? Um, while also kind of coping and dealing with your own mental health journey along the way? Oof. I think it's a good, I think it's a good distraction for me. Um, Me personally, like helping the other kids in crisis or helping kids in crisis. I think it's just like, I kind of go into like crisis solving mode and I'm able to turn my brain off and like literally just solve that problem that's at hand right there. Um, And I think that's what I like about it so much is that I'm able to do those things and I'm able to do them like as like second nature, like deescalating a crisis is just second nature to me at this point. Um, And I think that, it's helpful for me because I am able to turn my brain off a little bit. Um, I also think that it's helpful that I've experienced some of these things and that I'm not, and then like things with my family and things like that. Like I've been around so much of the things that I see at work that it's kind of like, it's easier for me to handle and it's not scary for me to handle. Um, it's not a shock. There's like no shock factor to it generally. Um, so I feel like I'm able to handle it a lot better knowing, you know, Oh, I've been through something similar. Like, Oh, I'm having something thrown at me. Okay. (laughs) It's just kind of like, Oh, all right. (laughs) Um, which I don't know if like everyone experiences. I think if you've been at the position long enough, you do, but I'll have like newcomers or people that I train for work that are like, so like you get hit and I'm like, yeah, sometimes it happens. And they're like, oh my God. And I'm like, you'll get used to it. (laughs) You'll get used to the crisis. You'll be able to like get into that fight or flight mode. Um, Like you'll be, you'll be able to, to, to do it, but it does take somebody who like hasn't had that necessarily similar, similar experience. It does take you a little bit to be like, okay, I can do this and not freak out. Um, so I think that it's helpful in that aspect. Uh, I also think that it's helpful for me because I am able to turn my brain off a little bit, um, and just kind of work through 
through it with the kids. Uh, and then just like have a deeper understanding, like you were saying, just deeper understanding of what they're going through and like actually being like, and it's so difficult because they'll be like, you don't know how it feels. And I'm sitting there like, oh my God, I don't know how it feels. <laughs> like, you don't understand how much I know how it feels. Um, which is something like I obviously can't share with them because uh, of boundaries and things of that nature. So it's like, oh no, I do know, I do know how this feels, but you can't just be like that open with them about it. So yeah, for sure. That is so beautiful. Um, (laughs) I mean, not that like very unfired, of course, but um, just you can hear like how much passion there is and how much compassion um, because a job like that, you have to be a very specific type of person. So you... um, work specifically like in the behavioral health unit um just for those of you listening savannah works in the behavioral health unit at children's and Mm -hmm. um you see it you see a lot you i've heard some of the stories and that's something that i don't know that i could do (laughs) yeah um yeah i so i work at the like our psychiatric hospital um and we do see a lot of behavioral health and mental health um but recently it has been a lot more of behavioral health and i specifically so we see patients of all different diagnoses but i specifically work a lot with conduct disorder um and i work almost entirely with teens so i work with a lot of large teenagers with conduct disorder, intermittent explosive disorder, oppositional defiant disorder. Um, So I do work a lot with aggressive kids and I'm not the biggest of people. Um, So it can be a little, uh, it can be a little little scary sometimes, Um, but I think I deal with that aspect of it better than most people think I would, I think. Like, like, I'm like, okay, you can get in my face. You can call me names. Not going to back down. It's fine. And I think that a lot of it with these kids, especially with the kids with conduct disorder, or the kids that, you know, are in these foster families or have, um, you know, been through family after family after family. There's a lot of that, like, I'm going to see how far I can push you. and if you leave, you're going to do what everyone else does. So there is that, like that moment of gaining that trust of like, I'm going to call you all these names. I'm going to like possibly physically try to injure you. Um, but I'm definitely going to try to emotionally injure you. And the minute that I come back the next day and I'm like, Oh, Hey. And I like work with them again. Like nothing ever happened or I like talk with them through it after the crisis happened, that's the minute that you gain trust with the kid. And they're like, oh, so like, maybe I shouldn't have done these things, but even if I do them, even if I have a crisis or something happens and I'm mean to you, you're going to come back Mm -hmm. and you're going to be there for me. And I think that that's something that those kids don't experience a lot of the times. Um, 
And that's something that I'm able to provide. And that's something that, you know, helps me build trust with them that they're like, okay, (laughs) I can, I can do this. I can be upset. I can be honest and real with you. Um, and you're still going to come back and you're still going to be there for me. Um, I, you know, like I couldn't tell you how many times I've had kids actually hit me in the face or bite me or throw stuff at me. And the next day I work with them, like they hadn't just hit me in the face. Um, it happens a lot and it's kind of just second nature to me at this point, but it's also like recognizing that these kids are in the hardest moments of their lives. Um, And it is exhausting at some points for us as staff members, obviously, but these kids are in like the scariest, hardest moment of their life. They may not have a family. They may be away from their family for the first time in their life. Um, And that's terrifying. Like I wouldn't want to be 14 and in a mental hospital with no phone, no access to my family other than the phone calls I get a few times a day. Like, I'd be terrified. Are you kidding me? I couldn't be away from my mother for that long. Um, So I think it's just like a lot of that gaining trust and then putting yourself in their shoes and like being like, oh yeah, this would suck. Um, And I think that's something like as a staff member, I do have to step back sometimes and be like, oh my God, yeah, why would you share this with me? I'm a complete stranger to you. So I think that that's, and that's something that I'll like tell them all the time. It's like, yeah, of course you don't want to open up. We're strangers. Like, why would you want to share these things with us? Like, we're asking you to be your most vulnerable self in front of a bunch of strangers. And why would you want to do that? Um, So I do try to tell them that like, yeah, I, I get it. I'm a stranger you don't have to like me. That's okay. Like I'll win you over <laughs> and with time I'll win you over, but it is, um, it is that part of knowing what they're going through, trying to connect with them, trying to build that relationship, trying to say, yes, you might get upset with me. Yes. You might do things. I'm still going to come back and I'm still going to help you. Um, so it's, it's that part of it with those kids specifically and that population specifically. That is so incredible because you have to be like, you really do have to be a very specific kind of person to be able to have that level of compassion. Like you were saying right after a child hits you in the face Um, and be that resource for those kids who might be away from their family for the first time ever, might be like experiencing something like this for the first time ever. They don't know like you, what you were just saying. They don't know what's going on. And the fact that you are able to be there and be a, a, a positive presence in these kids' lives is so important. And we need more people like you in the world. <laughs> Um, I think the most difficult part about that job is that it is crisis stabilization. So like when they leave, when we stabilize that crisis and they leave, 
unless they come back for more help from us, I have no idea yeah. <laughs> what they're like. I have no idea if, um, like what kind of progress they make. Um, I stabilized their crisis and with the help of, you know, a huge team of social workers and doctors and things of that nature. Um, and other nurses and other behavioral health specialists that work alongside me. Um, so like we stabilize their crisis, they leave, and then we don't really know unless they come back, if anything got better. So it is, it is a very, uh, thankless job because you don't see the progress. And then very rarely do you, get to know that like, even if they do come back very rarely, do you get to know like what impact you have made? So you're not really sure. You kind of just let them go. And then you're like, did I make a difference? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> like, um, so I think that's like a really difficult part of the job in general is like not getting those answers and not knowing what difference you have made if you have made any. Um, and I'm sure like as behavioral health specialists, we're like, Oh, we definitely didn't make a difference, but I'm sure we do. It's just not something that we see. So. I mean, you're kind of like an emergency room for yeah. behavioral health instead of like physical health. Yeah, that's exactly it. We're a long-term, <laughs> like a five to seven day emergency room. Yeah. So. And so, I mean, you'd like to think that, you know, if you don't see them again, that's a good sign, right? Yeah. Um, but then again, there is that kind of aspect of like, oh, did I actually make a difference? But just know that if you are making an impact in at least one life, then you are doing your job. Like that's what, yep. It's what I try to say. And even like, um, like I, it's, it's not really a joke. I mean, it's kind of a joke, but like if my family is like saying something or like, my boyfriend or things like that, or friends are saying something. I'll, I'll just look at them and I'm like, I save kids' lives. Like, I save children's lives. Yeah. And I've, you know, hopefully do that in general. I've had to physically intervene to save children's lives. Like, I have actually had to do that. Um, so that's when it's like not a joking aspect. Um, because that has been something that we deal with at the hospital. And that is something that we have to do. We do have to physically intervene to save children's lives. Um, but that is something like, oh, my job, I save children's lives. And then I'm like, I'm, I act like I'm a trauma surgeon or something. <laughs> We're like, I hope I do save some lives. Like I know physically I have, but, you know, I hope mentally I save some children's lives too. And I, I make them think a little bit clearer when they're having those thoughts and stuff like that. So I, I hope I do that, but that is a running gag that I play. I love <laughs> like, like you should be, I save kids lives, <laughs> but you do like, that's the thing. And, and, and like the fact that you have that thought at all, that like, that's something that you're concerned about means that you are doing your job well. Because if you, like, didn't care about saving children's lives, then, like, you're in the wrong place. You know what I mean? Like, so you are making an impact. You are saving these kids. And 
you kind of are a trauma surgeon just for the brain and not the body. So yeah. And I, even the kids that do come back, um, there is like a, I mean, the kids that like, I got a new tattoo recently on my forearm and there was like three or four kids. And one day that was like, Miss Savannah, is that a new tattoo? And I was like, you come here too much. Like, but I am like, I am, I'm glad that they have a place to go. Yeah. Uh, but it is something like I, I did, like, I did tell them that I was like, man, if you can tell what my new tattoos are, like you come here too frequently. And then I'm always like, I'd rather see you here than somewhere else. But when they do leave, I'm like, I hope I run into you at Target, not here again. <laughs> like, bye, never want to see you again. <laughs> it is kind of like a, a thing that we tell them. And it's like, no, we don't want to see you back here because we want to know that you're doing well. But if you need somewhere to go or if it's here or not being on this earth anymore, I'd rather see you here. Um, so that's something I tell the kids all the time. Uh, but there is like, even the kids that you see back time and time again, there is still progress or there is still like, I'll walk onto the unit and they'll immediately know who I am. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So like, I, I have some sort of impact. Um, like there is, there is an impact of some sort there. Uh, even if you are back, even if I didn't completely change your life and make it better, there's impact of you made a little bit of a difference still yeah so absolutely that's always here or to see and even the kids that like they're like oh I know you you're Miss Savannah and I'm like have I worked with like (laughs) I work with hundreds of kids like I don't have I worked with you and they're like yeah you worked with me on this unit and I'm like oh okay (laughs) yeah they have to jog my memory a little bit and I'm like okay yeah I I know who you are (laughs) so cool though they like either a word word on the street spreads fast or you're really doing something there <laughs> or, <Yeah>. both. <laughs> or both yeah hopefully both <laughs> yeah because if you weren't doing something then they wouldn't talk about you but yeah I do have one last question that I want to get to because we are coming up on time here but um, this is something that I like to ask everybody and, um, I just, I just love to hear people's responses to this one. So you obviously have a very high stress job, right? You are working like in the thick of it. Um, and then also doing your best to cope with, um, your own mental health, um, issues, uh, so with all of that in mind, cause that is a lot, um, what do you do to take care of yourself? I'm so bad at this. <laughs> that's, that's, um, I always put myself last, so it is very difficult for me to find ways to take care of myself, but for example, today I um, have an off day from both jobs, which is a rarity. And I am doing laundry and I'm going to watch scary movies all day. And that's going to be my way of taking care of myself. I think my number one way of 
coping with things or doing something that I like is just sitting and watching movies. I love movies. I love TV. I'm totally okay with being a couch potato. Um, But that's like, my roommate goes to work tonight and she doesn't like scary stuff. And she was like, Hey, don't watch the show without me earlier today. And I was like, Oh no, I already have scary stuff planned that I'm going to watch. <laughs> like I'm going to sit and watch scary movies. <laughs> like I don't, I don't know what, what you think I'm going to do, but that's my way of relaxing. I guess. <laughs> uh, I'm scary yeah, for sure. That is definitely self care. Like whatever yeah. you to like get your mindset in like a positive place. That's self-care right there. You're doing that. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to clean and I'm going to watch scary movies, two things I really like to do. So, yeah, that's my way of taking care of myself today. It's it's different every day, but today that's the way I'm going to do it. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. Well, I'm proud of you for uh, taking a day off, right? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And thank you for doing this podcast on your day off. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. No, I was uh, telling my boyfriend yesterday, I was like, I don't have to go anywhere tomorrow. (laughs) Like, I don't have to drive at all. (laughs) Yeah. Not having to leave your apartment is the best feelings in the world. Like, I just got to stay here. my favorite days and I I wish they happened more often but like yeah I think I'm gonna make Sunday that day for me it's gonna be yeah I'm not gonna go anywhere I'm not gonna go work out I'm not gonna do laundry or anything I'm just gonna sit in my apartment and watch SNL all day yeah <laughs> yeah like that's I think that's one of the best ways to do self-care is just doesn't cost you anything yeah. doesn't even really cost you much energy (laughs) you just kind of get a chill out face so I'm excited to do that it's awesome I'm proud of you thank you well Savannah you have been an absolute delight to talk to today um you've been so honest so vulnerable um especially talking about some really hard stuff and some really recent stuff and that um it's not easy um And so we applaud you um, for being that conversation starter. Um, We applaud you for continuing to do the work that you do at Children's. Um, And uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Of course. Thank you for having me. And Warriors, um, for all of you listening, reminder that you are not alone. And if you need any additional resources, please visit the website at 1n5.org and have a great day.